I had an idea for the cold open here once we're going, though. I had an idea for the cold open, too. Uh, oh, go ahead. Although, although, let's go with yours. I was just going to talk oh, about how... Oh, I, I liked yours. Oh. Uh, what was well, yours? No, mine was, I was, you know, I used to work for a, a newspaper, which was at um, Drexel University, right? And, you know, I mm. was a good, I was the editor-in-chief for a while, which was fun. We had an exciting time. Our business manager killed a guy. Um, <laughs> literally, literally and you got, you got to slam your desk and demand pictures of Spider-Man. Can we, can we, can we say his, no, we don't need to say his name, but no, yeah, he we killed don't, a guy. Yeah, he killed a he, guy, yeah. He killed a guy, yeah. But, uh, like this is purpose? really speculative. This is merely speculation, but that guy probably deserved it. No, that's what I was thinking too. Is he probably did deserve it? I was like, yeah, this, this guy was like the one of the nicest guys I ever met. I had no idea he had a concealed carry permit. Um, See, which is he's, he's the only one. He's the only one who didn't go around telling everyone because, as you know, it's actually a legal requirement when you get a concealed carry permit to walk up to every uh, every person you see and say. Hey, just so you know, I have a concealed carry permit. Oh, have you and seen those, like, fake cop badges they have for, like, concealed carry holders? No, I haven't, because we're not allowed to get them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I feel like the purpose of a concealed carry is to not tell anyone you have it. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, the, the moral of the story is, like, don't, don't go fighting people because you don't know who's packing heat. Although you probably do, because everyone who has a concealed carry permit announces it to everyone. <laughs> don't fight! Don't fight a guy with a concealed carry permit, ha uh, like a t-shirt and like hats. Uh, don't don't do that shit. I feel like I remember a uh, a friend of mine saying, like, talking about the shooting and being like, "Yeah, it was like right outside Savas uh, in West Philly." And I was like, "Yeah, but like again, like it's normally fine." How often is the business manager of the Triangle gonna gonna murk a dude? <laughs> well, at least once. Yeah, it happened once, and like you, you know, I, I, I assume like, I assume <laughs> that guy. I mean, if you're yeah. good at it, you can like kill multiple people. You know, yeah, Richard Kuglinski, like, another yeah, another exactly. American po Polish American excellence. Ross is Polish idol. Exactly. <laughs> Famous yeah, Polish you, American. You, you are the Richard Kuklinski of podcasts. You just get hundreds of them out of the way, just done, and like everybody's incredibly impressed with you. Yes. Anyway, um, my cold open idea was that I was going to do the goddamn news theme song, and then I was going to be like, live from Philadelphia, WTYP Action News. I like that too. You literally do not have to. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll just go fuck myself. Yeah. I guess. All right. Well, we have several competing cold open ideas. We just do them simultaneously. Just layer them over each other. Well, we've been recording the whole time, so we have both of them. Yeah, that's perfect. We can just we just do them both. We'll do a split screen. We'll do like a picture in picture, and it's just completely incomprehensible because you get two sets of audio at the same time. Yes. Yeah, I always I always feel bad for Raj just because like one of these days I'm just gonna go absolutely buck wild with my audio more so than I ever have, and maybe I'll just talk backwards or something. I'll start mm. backmasking. Shit's gonna get real unpleasant. Yeah, the first podcast to be recorded one third in tongues. Yeah, I was about to say, speaking <laughs> of tongues, handling dangerous snakes, 
Um, <laughs> praising the Lord. The goddamn, you know? goddamn Protestants must be stopped. This is a this is a a, a Bible based podcast. But anyway, sure. Welcome to Well, there's your problem. A podcast about engineering disasters. Hi, I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking Hi, right Justin. now. Hi, Justin. My. <laughs> wow, this is an AA meeting now. Great. Um, nope, nope, nope. Moving on. Not doing that shit again. Moving I, on. I, I haven't. I we haven't, surrender I have, ourselves to a higher podcasting power. Yes. My pronouns are he and him. Okay. Uh, Alice Caldwell Kelly. My pronouns are she and her. I, what? I don't get a hi, Alice. Nothing. Hi, Alice. Hi, uh, uh, hi Alice. <laughs> what's yeah, up, everybody? Yeah. Hey, what's up, YouTube? <laughs> what's uh, up, gamers? Oh, <laughs> is, is what's up, gamers? Yeah. I'm recovering from alcoholism. Go <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to Trash Future. It's a very good podcast. I have decided I'm now on Trash Future. Yeah, sure. Uh, just, uh, all, it all this. Uh, my name is Liam Anderson. I am at Old Man Anderson on Twitter. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And before we really get underway, I did want to actually talk about uh, what we've been doing for the past, what, week and a half or so? Hmm. About the bonus yeah. episodes? Uh, yes. So, uh, if you aren't aware when you listen to this, uh, I think through the month of June, but we may need to talk about that. Uh, if you donate to one of the bail funds or a mutual aid fund or something in that neighborhood and DM us the receipts, you get the bonus episodes. And I wanted to say, as of this recording, which is June 8th, 2020, y'all have raised at least $5,000. That's incredible. Going, going through the receipts. Um, yes. It's probably more than that. That was an absolute, like, quick count. Hmm. And for, so I, I mean, to, for, for uh, your money, which there is no lower ceiling on, like, you can, like, give a dollar, you get yeah. every bonus yeah. episode from here to eternity, basically, because right. we just put the playlist out. Yes. So. It's, you get yeah, all the oh, bonus episodes. That? Yeah, that's yeah. what I've been doing. Uh, 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 and, like, yeah. literally, okay, cool. like, that is, that's an astoundingly good deal, but the fact that, the fact is that people weren't giving like a dollar or five dollars. I no, got a you, I got a thing for like, oh hey, I just sent seven hundred and fifty dollars yeah, to this I bail got fund. Two for one thousand and I want to give a special shout out to the guy who donated six hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. <laughs> Hell yeah. I got that email when I was shit faced drunk. <laughs> and I wanted to tell you personally how much I liked that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it, it's been it's been very wholesome. It's been a very nice time getting all of these messages and thinking that, huh, maybe we can actually do some good with uh, with our podcast when we're not doing a um a well. There's your problem to fash pipeline. Yes, yeah. If any of you come become fascists, I personally will beat your ass. <laughs> That's how you love the Patreon. That's the free tier. I will personally come and beat your ass. <laughs> all right. So what you, see, up, motherfuckers. Mm. what you see on the screen here is a page from the Philadelphia Inquirer, page A12, <laughs> Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. What yeah. you might notice here is a very bad headline. I see that. I do notice, um, yes. I do notice that. And a guy wearing a Knicks hat in my fucking city. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I like the that's your objection. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, man, 
Yeah, I, no, I just is... realized the real disaster here actually is the column flow because it goes down, and I'm sure it goes down below oh, that, God, and then it, it starts. Oh, it starts boy. up this again up here. Horribly oh, laid out page <laughs> of of the goddamn news. I was you about thought to reading say. Hebrew was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we're not doing the goddamn news today because the subject of today's episode is news. Um, <laughs> and and this was recently one of, one of the few times we do like a um, uh, a a contemporary an episode about contemporary subjects as opposed to something that happened seventy years ago. Right? We're going to talk about how shitty headlines like this make it into the newspaper. <laughs> How, well, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> Some, somebody who, who's like whose dad is important gets a job and they type some things into a computer and then they send it across to a print works and a print guy prints the thing onto some paper a bunch of times and then a bunch of podcasters get very upset and then this happens. Mostly shits in their own mouth. Yes. All right, that's the episode. Next episode's on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster. All right. So, so. So this was published uh, last Tuesday. Well, when this comes out, it'll be two Tuesdays ago. Um, and in the Philadelphia Inquirer, this is from Pulitzer Prize-winning architecture critic Inga Saffron, who is good, uh, usually. Um, <laughs> but, like, people don't write the headlines above their columns, yes, is the yes, thing. Yes, people, people right, don't write right, their own headlines. Um, and the actual article, I, I think it was published a little soon, I think the concept of the article makes sense. You know, buildings can be rebuilt, uh, lives can't, uh, but will the buildings actually be rebuilt? And there's some examples from, you know, civil rights era, riots and protests where those neighborhoods never really recovered. That's up on like Ridge Avenue and Columbia Avenue. Columbia mm -hmm. Avenue is now Cecil B. Moore Avenue. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, we say like, you know, these, these shops are all insured. So uh, the losses basically mean nothing. I mean, that doesn't necessarily count for smaller businesses. Um, you know, and, and of course, we got to start talking about reconstructing some of these areas at some point. You know, bail funds are the start. At some point, some of these neighborhoods are going to need help getting back on their feet. So, you know, as, as things continue, you know, we'll discuss, you know, Maybe yeah. instead of donating to bail funds, you might want to donate to reconstruction funds. We will, we, we will be yeah. keeping a, a close eye on this, and we will be harassing both you and like various numtots online yes. to like uh, throw money into things. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing <laughs> but, I want to say is actually a shameless plug for Roz, which is your uh, Black Wall Street episode, talking about sort of rampant destruction in neighborhoods that never really get a chance to rebuild. Whether oh, yeah. What is essentially race war, you know, or other means, or talk about, you know, as we've talked about, sort of the destruction of cities in places like New England um, that were entirely along racial lines uh, and absolutely fucked over poor people. Those cities are still scrambling pretty hard. Oh yeah, and you know, there's some there's some commentators out there, especially on Twitter, you know, who might say, you know, the the protesters, rioters, looters, whatever you want to call them. You know, they liberated the proletariat from capitalist oppression by looting Ahmed's corner grocery hoagie and cold beer store. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, you know, there's folks on that block who probably disagree because they like having the convenience of having, you know, being able to go down to the corner store and pick up some cold beer. You know, even if Ahmed is like, I don't know, a, a small business tyrant or whatever. Yeah, right? a, a hoagie kulak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I, but like burning down a target is different from like burning down somebody uh, Armatogi like Armatogi store. Yeah, yeah, Armatogi store. But like, I think that's also a distinction that we saw a lot of people who were rioting make. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, like yeah, absolutely. The, the, this is these are the businesses that we want. These are the ones that we don't want. Uh, because we, like people, people, people te can tell. People live there. People know what's like what's gonna recover, what isn't, and what can afford to lose. I don't know, like an Xbox out of the fucking back, uh, as opposed to like a bunch of hoagies and hoagie yeah. making equipment. What is a hoagie? A hoagie. A hoagie is uh. It's just like a, 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 you would know a, it as a summer. sub, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I I will a also sub, say a hero, a grinder. Uh, also, while we're while we're at it, uh, Wawa's hoagies are bad now, and I'm not telling you what to do, but uh, but you should probably liberate some deli slicers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that finally gets the like FBI to kick your door in is inciting violence against Wawa's. <laughs> The, the fucking yeah. sandwiches are bad now. That's yeah. that's that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Are always... I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, we've actually managed to cancel like, a drop in real time. <laughs> so you know, and I mean, with um with businesses destroyed, you know, uh, especially in the pandemic, a lot of these places may not be able to easily recover, and that's where you know. There's an opportunity for capital to consolidate, you know. Uh, the hoagie store becomes 13 stories of ugly condos with a Chipotle on the ground floor, you know. Mm. Or a bank branch. Maybe it's a bank branch. Maybe it's a bank branch, yeah, exactly. Do you want yeah. that? That's another... The, the, that's, the target that burns down never reopens, but, like, uh, the target down the road just sort of increases in loss prevention intensity. And everybody yeah. now lives in a food desert, and they have to like travel that much further to get surveyed while they're buying groceries. Exactly, or like you know, a bank, the bank branch opens, and then suddenly all the mysterious ATM explosions happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the single best part because like that, it, the first couple of days of rioting, I was just like smiling nonstop. But particularly the moment where it really struck me was um, the bit where like some guy, some like security consultant, some polo neck dipshit was like quote tweeting a thing about people trying to get into the ATMs at a bank, uh, and was like, "Man, unless they're bringing dynamite, they're not gonna get anything." And then the <laughs> next tweet was. Uh, multiple explosions heard from some kind of a bomb. <laughs> the thing I don't understand about the Philly explosions, because of course we could hear them here, is that, you know, they said it was dynamite from people trying to break into ATMs, but like, dynamite is not that regular, right? You no. know, hear, boom, so that boom, was, boom, there was boom, a boom, lot of it. You know? There was a there lot, was of, a it, lot yeah. of it, yeah. And other people said it was LRADs, and it's like, no, that's not the sound those make. That's not the sound that LRAD makes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh it's definitely like none of the, I think it was mostly fireworks, you know. It's like mm. it, it's a, you know the normal like the neighborhood getting paranoid about fireworks because I assume there's not a lot of police out, you know, to go catch you for setting off fireworks <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do it; it's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Fireworks liberation front. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I had fireworks. The, the people are like fireworks crazy in this city. I had fireworks shot at me when I was biking down 
56 straight I've one time. I've had fireworks shot at me. I yeah. mean, that, that, that happens here too, except <laughs> yeah. they shoot them at like the windows of houses. So like you'll just yeah. be minding like your own business and up. boom, and then like all the windows rattle. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, I, uh, uh, now that the statue of limitations has, has expired, uh, I used to go out to a field in York and just light off fireworks. Because I knew the guy who owned the farm, and he didn't give a fuck what I did. So that was that was a great way for me to release my teenage aggression. Was just like every you know five minutes, just get another one of the fireworks like I had bought, or eventually this guy started buying. And this was back. This was back when Pennsylvania wouldn't let you buy the good stuff if you were a resident. So I never asked the questions. But yeah, no, we should we should allow people in cities to have a field where they can just set off fucking fireworks and shit. Yeah, I agree completely. That's how we repurpose the golf courses. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, this article, you know, I don't think it's bad. I think it was poorly timed, certainly, but the headline mm. made it very bad. Yeah. Um, again, <laughs> Inga Saffron is good, especially that time she called out Stu, Stu Bykovsky at his retirement party for associating with American expats in Thailand who moved there Ooh. for che- cheap sex. Um, no. And then printed it in the newspaper. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Most of the time, Inga rules pretty hard. Yeah, In- Inga's good. She also pisses off of the urbanists a lot, which is fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, usually very good. I think this article is poorly timed. The headline is a major problem, right? So h- how does a headline like this happen, right? And obviously, like, you know, one of the answers is, systemic racism right you know well that's 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 easy to say but you know we had to kind of go into that we got to pick it apart a little bit more like you know headlines are not chosen by the reporter usually they're chosen by people who do layout especially print layout right and that's determined by space constraints that's determined by style requirements right um yeah and, and look at what a beautiful layout this they have produced this yeah. like extremely <laughs> fucked column layout, oh, the headshot like dividing the column in half <laughs> on the way down, the caption on the right with a bunch of white space under it, the justification here where it says <laughs> chestnut, right, and that that's mm. walnut and chestnut right here. This this is an abomination, right? Because there's just <laughs> this whole empty space right here. You could have shoved this up or down. I, I I can't imagine this is like the best they could have done here, but also it's page A12, like no one cared. <laughs> so it's looking at it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but for like a long answer as to how, how did this happen, right? I think we ought to go into like the history of newspapers and sort of the rise and decline of the print newspaper um, and the enormous undertaking that it is to produce a print newspaper with a circulation of millions of copies every day, and how mm. botched jobs like this happen. Yeah, um, how, how the newspaper mm. went from something that started wars and ended wars, but mostly started wars, to uh, a collection of the 20 worst accounts you're aware of on Twitter, all having horrible takes at once. Yes. What do you, Tom Cotton? <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode we're going to talk mostly about the back end of newspapers right as opposed to like you know the front end oh, where the journalism happens <laughs> yeah that <laughs> or like uh yeah i guess yeah sports is the back end because it's like basically you know you turn the newspaper over and then you see the sports there 
as opposed to, it's like a second front page, honestly. Mm. That, that's how we organized it when I worked for the student newspaper. You know, it's basically a second front page where you can read about the important stuff, sports. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I mean, the back end of the newspaper does, of course, um, influence the front end, like how the paper is printed sometimes influences the reporting. So I, I, I think we should start by going way back, as far back as we can, to antiquity, right? Uh, yes, how, ancient Egyptian newspapers. Yes. You so know, Tablets complaining yeah. or room of complaints <laughs> <laughs> yeah the first general contractor very quickly <laughs> followed by an expose by the first journalist yes well one of the first like newspapers what you might call it was called the acta diurna right and that's uh the in ancient daily Rome. acts yes the, hmm. okay. and this is like a, a a series of engraved stone or metal tablets that would be posted in public places in ancient Rome, right? And that it was like the government's official account of the news of the day or the week or whatever, you know, because it took a long time to make these things, right? Um, mm. Just a guy yeah. just hammering out, conquest of Cisalpine Gaul, still going great for the yeah. 50th time in a row. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so in ancient China, they also did. Uh, ancient China had like something like the printing press well before Europeans did, um, which is one of the one of the weird narratives of the Gutenberg printing presses. You know, this is like the first printing press. It's like now the Chinese figured this out a long time ago, right? Um, you know, they had like similar government newspapers. I'm doing air quotes here. Newspapers. Um, those were like printed on silk again. There's very limited circulation because these things fancy. are fancy. Yes, very fancy. Uh, and you know, so these are these were like limited circulation. This is like it between you know zero A.D. and like the seven hundreds, eight hundreds A.D. when you know these sorts of things are circulating. Uh, not much circulation. Not a lot of people could read. You know, we don't have like mass literacy and certainly no mass literature right um right and it's hampered by the difficulty producing lots of newspapers lots of printing lots of paper even um and it's all controlled by the government of course goddamn government <laughs> hate those guys <laughs> those pieces of shit yeah <laughs> the fucking government anyway so now gutenberg in i forget the date Invents. Uh, who, who cares? Who, who cares? He's a, yeah, he's a in German. olden time. In, in olden invents. times, he invents the printing press, right? Oh my god, I got a log out of steam. Oh, <laughs> I keep forgetting to do this. All right. Okay. Go hit with the newsman drop. You're a mm -hmm. fucking newsman, Don. I ever tell you otherwise, you punch me in the face. I love that. <laughs> I just remembered that the show, the newsroom, existed right before we started recording. I was like, I have to get the bit where he just like screams incoherently over a Coldplay song about being a goddamn newsman. That's the only Aaron Sorkin show I've actually watched the whole way through. Really? <laughs> yeah. West, West, West Wing is um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a better it's show. Fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the West Wing is a better show and is, I think, essential to understanding why liberals got this way. I've never watched any of the West Wing. Mm. Not well, a single second. Maybe I should yeah, go it, do that. Studio well, 60 is pretty good. Studio 60 is pretty good. But that only lasted a season. 
for reasons related to being very good. Mm. Yeah, well, NBC uh, kills good. and eats everything good. Good, <laughs> good things are not allowed. All right. So Gutenberg invents this thing called the printing press, right? And the innovation here is a, you know, you just you just press down on the paper and it creates print, hence the printing press, right? Yeah. You have a bunch of little blocks with a raised yes. letter on them. You yes. literally that's where we invent like all of the stuff that you think about in terms of typing, like upper and lower case, it's because you keep the capitals in a case above the thing. Yes. The, you have movable type, so you just insert the letters to make the words, you press it on the paper, boom, you're done, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to having to copy everything by hand and making some bullshit, I don't know, illuminated manuscript. Um, <laughs> right? Just engraving again, yeah. Yeah. So, it's for chumps, you don't want to do it. Yeah, so each, each individual letter that's called a sort, right? And they're stored, as Alice mentioned, in cases. The upper case is where you have the big letters. The lower case is where you have the little letters. Oh, right? you actually put that in. I'm sorry. I, I, I jumped <laughs> ahead of you there. That's why there's a picture of the case here. Ah. <laughs> Damn it, Alice. Would probably help if I read the notes as we were doing this. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll never do I it. I sent them to you early. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, and, 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 and instead of reading them, instead of instead of reading the notes, what I did was I got this. You're a fucking newsman, Don. I ever tell you otherwise, you punch me in the face. <laughs> Alright. So the printing press lets you print a lot of uh uh, you know, words real quickly. Uh, if you were a skilled operator, you get thirty six hundred pages a day out of this thing. Right? Ooh. Yeah. It's a lot of Bibles. Oh yeah, lots of Bibles. Well, I mean, that's like a couple Bibles a day. Which is uh, a lot more so. than most people could do back in the day. You know, I can I cannot even produce one Bible a day handwriting. <laughs> I could probably barely get through Genesis. Um yeah, we need to like we need a standardized measurement of like horsepower of how yeah. many monks per like uh, how many monk power? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hey, like oh, this is this is a killer monk. Uh, like spoiler, printing that press conversion rate is not good. Yeah. yeah. So, as such, once we're able to produce a lot more of the written word very quickly, um, people start getting the idea. Maybe we can print. The news. Right? Goddamn news. The goddamn news, yes. So, rather than, you know, since... So, you start seeing in Venice, right? This is in the 1500s, 1600s or so, something called the Gazette being produced, right? So, uh, a Gazette is like a government newspaper, again, produced by the goddamn government. Right. Always <laughs> <laughs> sticking uh, the fucking noses out. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the goddamn government produced an official newspaper <laughs> called, uh, it was not initially called a gazette, but it cost one gazette, which is a small Venetian coin. Right. Oh, so it's like a, a dime novel. Yes. Or like, okay. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, the first, oh, okay. I wrote down the date. The first one's mm -hmm. published in 1556, right? And yeah, government bullshit. Um, there's some non-government newspapers that start to begin appearing in Europe <laughs> in the 1600s, and these have like weird 
irregular schedules, right? You know, sometimes they would say they were weekly, but then they would publish extra editions or they would not publish at all or, you know, something like that. You know, sort of like yeah. our podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just get a, you, at some point you invent the idea of yelling extra, extra, and then from there the news happens. Yes. Yes. Man, I'm so, just looking, I'm just looking at the like sample you have here. That's also a shitty headline. Oh. In Congress, July 4th, 1776. A, a declaration by the representatives of the United <laughs> States of America, a general congress assembled. Yes. Yeah. Dog shit uh, headline doesn't tell me anything about what's going on other than that there's a congress happening. I oh, do. A congress. Yeah, yeah, but it has this nice drop cap, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of drop caps. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like drop caps a lot. Um, so but The price is only two coppers. Yeah, Publish yeah. every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, Saturday <laughs> evenings. But by reading this, I can actually give myself a lisp. No, that was the thing back when we had the long S, is like no one could figure out if you had a lisp or not. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was much more inclusive society back then. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's like, are, do you have a lisp or do you not know how to read properly? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's both. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. This is uh, still a labor-intensive process, even with the printing press, right? Circulation was still restricted for most newspapers and, you know, newsletters, whatsoever, whatever you call them, right? Again, 3,600 pages a day per printing press per mm. guy. They're also um, usually like one sheet. Like you get a, yeah. a maybe a one-sided sheet of paper, uh, or like it'll maybe go onto the other side, but like you don't have like bound or like folded newspapers for a while. Oh yeah. And then, but some people still like say, let's try and make a daily newspaper. We can probably do this. This is the modern era. It's like 1650. We can do whatever we want, right? Um, so there's there was uh there were a couple uh daily newspapers uh produced in the 1600s one of the first serious attempt was in Leipzig it was called Einkommende Zeitung right oh boy <laughs> Zeitung uh, it means Zeitung. times uh, yeah Ein Einkommende Zeitung i i don't actually know what Einkommende means which is oncoming like, oncoming news i think it's oncoming news is what yeah i think that's what it translates oh, to just getting domed with a leipzig paper yeah <laughs> I was just screaming oncoming <laughs> someone throws like the newsboy throws the newspaper like wrapped around a brick through your window <laughs> it literally <laughs> does <laughs> mean incoming news <laughs> it literally means that so yeah we we can only assume that this was delivered by mortar into your house <laughs> through the roof. That's that's effective. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that was the first serious attempt at a daily newspaper. That was in 1650. Now, 1783 was when this Pennsylvania Evening Post became like uh, uh, the first daily newspaper in America. You see, this is uh, 1776, July 6, 1776. You know. A little bit after Independence Day, which was just a regular day back then, um, publishing the uh, Declaration of Independence. Um, but in eight, uh, 1783, this became a daily newspaper. And then, within a year, they ceased publication because they couldn't keep up. 
Uh, the tale yeah. as old as time, and yeah. like yeah. S- same as it ever was. Do you think there was a guy who was like bit, had been working in the newspaper for like a year and was like, ah, oh, the death of print media. Yes, people yes. are just gonna get dumber yes. now. <laughs> You're so, a goddamn noof man. A noof man. <laughs> You're a goddamn noof man. <laughs> so I think I think we have to title this video the goddamn noofs. <laughs> we love you, Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> so, right, noofs. So, yeah, yeah. The problem. The problem here is that you know the time is not right. The technology wasn't there. The manual wouldn't Gutenberg press. Just didn't have the capacity to publish a daily newspaper, right? Mm, so yeah, you could do pamphlets. Like it's not like dudes in the 18th century would absolutely do like a small run of self-published pamphlets that are just like, oh my my sixth letter against the like <laughs> charges laid against me by Captain B, who I will not name, but has accused me of being like a a common whoremonger and stuff. And that was posting uh, for the longest was, time. That was posting. Yeah. That was a, that was the first golden age of posting before Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, just... Thomas Thomas Paine, big accounts, uh, but like, and the most famous one, and did a lot of pamphlets. But like, no, just anybody could do it, and you could just be like, yeah, my neighbor, my fucking neighbor's a huge piece of shit. I'm gonna print this up in like maybe a run of fifty pamphlets and just hand <laughs> these out. Yeah, Thomas Paine is only fame. Uh, Thomas Paine was a good poster because he had good opinions. You know, no, like, this, is, this uh, is like the main the main reason he's remembered as a fantastic poster. There were so many posters out there, which is terrible opinions. Um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, the Federalist Papers, the first Twitter thread. Yeah, exactly. You like, already oh, used oh, that oh, joke oh. in uh, to Franklin, huh? Yes, Fuck. I did. Yeah, this is the problem because uh, when I listen to when I watch your other content, I'm just like, "Oh, that's a good joke. I should use it on my podcast with this guy who doesn't have any relation to this <laughs> this content that I'm listening to right now." <laughs> original joke: Do not steal. Original yeah. joke: Do not steal. Yes, I, like right. I had another joke about the Federalist Papers, but now I'm not like I have the false memory thing where I'm just like, "Oh, did you make this one too?" And I'm just stealing it and being a piece of shit again. I've just like opening the Federalist Papers and it and, and it like opens with, all right, listen up, y'all, and then brackets one. <laughs> oh my god, no, that's, I didn't make that joke explicitly. It sounds about right, though. I mean, fuck. Look, let, so let, someone can go back and check, and they can yell at me in the comments uh, to see how much I'm stealing from you. So uh, Alexander Hamilton was a bad person. Um. Anyway, <laughs> Thomas Paine was like the only good founding father. And mm-hmm. it's dubious if John you can Adams even... wasn't that bad. All right, John Adams wasn't that bad. Uh, it was yeah, mostly Abigail's fault. Yeah. Like she, she was definitely the better half of that of that couple. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I kind of like Franklin. Franklin was cool. Franklin was pretty cool. I mean, he did own slaves, which is bad, but he also like stopped owning slaves, which is good. Yeah, I, I, I fucked give... a lot of gilfs. Yes, we gotta oh, give God. some uh, room for character development here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, he he invented he invented a kind of organ. He invented the lightning rod, and he invented the gilf. Uh, and for yes. this, yeah, for this we must be eternally grateful. And unfortunately, the University of Pennsylvania, which totally wiped out all the good things about him. <laughs> yes, there's a there's a bench at the University of Pennsylvania you can go sit on, and it has like a statue of like Ben yeah. Franklin just sitting there with like his arm out, so you can pretend you're buds with Ben Franklin. 
That sounds cool. I'd like yeah. to. I'd like to pretend. I'd like to get a parasocial relationship with Ben Franklin. Well, get in line, <laughs> you and every other pen kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in the early 1800s, they come up with some uh, uh, incredible new technology called the steam press. All right. I I got mm. a YouTube. I got a YouTube video here. Let's hmm. see how this works. You have the rotary steam press, which lets you print huge quantities of newspaper quickly. Go. It's a deadly looking machine. Like this, oh, this yeah. thing looks like it killed five orphans a day. It probably did. Like just that belt going around, just totally unprotected for that whole long length, is like is making my teeth itch. <laughs> <laughs> well. So yeah, see, it killed the camera guy right there. Shit. Okay, so <laughs> the way the way she chooches is um, uh, we have we we have no relation to AVE. Um, come on, I can't. Let me let me draw on this. Right, I can't do it. Okay, so <laughs> we have another we have our, casualty. It claims another victim. <laughs> we have we have this um we have this so we have like pre-cut sheets of paper up on top. Um, the drum brings them down. You saw the, uh, what we have on the bottom here is a con conventional, like, press sort of thing, right? You know, it's just type set up backwards, uh, movable type as usual, and that moves forward and backwards as the, um, paper comes down. As the paper comes down, it moves forward, it impresses the, uh, type onto the paper, then as it comes back, it's re-inked for the next sheet, right? And this is all hmm. driven by steam, right? So you see these big belts right here. It's being driven by an electric motor, right? But in reality, it would be uh, driven by something called a line shaft, right? And that also hmm. sounds like it mangles some children. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your your line shaft. Oh crap! Okay, there we go. Uh, your 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 line shaft system is where you have you don't have electricity yet. So what you do is you have a big stationary steam engine like this one in the in the corner of the shop, right? And I'm sure this is like a huge contraption that makes five and a half horsepower. And um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> seven, well, like seven if you put the little GCI sticker on there. Yeah, exactly. All right. you gotta do, you right. just gotta change. You gotta change the governor right here, right? <laughs> and then that that has a belt. The belt goes up to a series of line shafts. This that that's this thing up here, right? And then um, and then you have belts that go down from the line shaft to the machinery. Oh right? fuck me! That's like it's a, it's a drivetrain with no gearbox. Yeah, it's and just a long spinning metal rod with a bunch of belts connected to it under tension. Yes. Uh, okay, so if one of those belts snaps and goes whipping across the the shop floor at head level, um. You kind of get parody redacted in Minecraft, right? Well, I think most of these belts had a little bit of slack in them. You can see because they're like twisting and stuff here. Mm. Um, I think you could get away with a little bit of slack. I mean, there were a million other ways it could kill you, though. Like, if you just put your hand <laughs> in the wrong place, like suddenly, you know, I don't know, you got, you got 
taken up into the machinery and then like mm. whipped around like 75 times, you know? Uh, you get turned into pasta oh. sauce. Um, That's so, the way to go. Jesus yeah, Christ. exactly, right? So, <laughs> but yeah, the line shaft system was how we drove machinery before we had electric motors, right? Um, and this steam press, of course, it allows for, you know, basically daily newspapers to exist because you could produce a huge amount of newspapers very quickly, right? Hmm. So there's stuff like the Guardian, 1821, the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is the subject of today's episode, that was 1829, you get the Philadelphia Evening and Sunday Bulletin, 1841, New York Daily Tribune, that's 1841 as well, The Economist- the New York Daily Tribute? Tribute, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Economist, that was 1843, Chicago Tribune, 1847. New York Times, 1851, of course, founded uh, because a lot of rich people were really mad that the Daily Tribune was uh, publishing so many editorials from Karl Marx. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, same as it ever was. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. still- well, the, at least the Guardian, like the Guardian was still, um, was still cool at this point. And like one mm-hmm. thing I noticed that all of these have in common is that the Guardian's in Manchester, uh, the, the Times in London, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. You need that industrial base. Nobody's like publishing a newspaper in Duluth. It's so closely tied to... Uh, oh like, yes, Duluth, well known for not being industrial. <laughs> well, I, I'm talking about in 18 fucking like yeah, 21. Yeah, they, they haven't put in the ore boats yet. Yeah, no, they didn't get there until 1869. No one can, no, no one can like con- conceive of like a, an Ed, Edmund Fitzgerald, you know. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so but this was not, you know, this was a big development that allowed for you know wide circulation of daily newspapers, but. You still required like that time-consuming manual typesetting, right? You know, you could you could now right. print you could print every day, but you were still spending a lot of that day with a whole bunch of guys in like a room with a bunch of cases of type, you know, trying to find an extra E because they ran out. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, can, can we can we call? Can we go down to the forge? Can we get a, another couple E's? We ran out. <laughs> That's fine. Just turn some shit on its side. They'll never notice. Yeah, so I, I I love to read the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> so uh, the next innovation, which made publishing the news easier, was called the linotype machine. Hmm. I know the word linotype from like fonts and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean this that's like I think the company's still around, but they just make money on fonts. They can't make money on their machines anymore, which is a shame because I believe this is probably the pinnacle of um, mechanical engineering. Um, I don't think anyone's built a more complex and convoluted machine than this, uh, which was practical, ever. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be done again, either. Uh, yeah. It looks like a fucking like typewriter piano. It's incredible. Alright, so there's... Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna link in the description a video. It's 30 to 40 minutes long, if I recall, that actually yeah, so go prop- and watch all of it. <laughs> actually yeah. properly explains how this machine works, because I can never do it justice. Um, but in 1866, we developed something called hot metal typography, right? 
And the first machine that makes this possible is the linotype machine. Linotype is, you know, short for line of type. Because uh, that's what we make. We make yeah. fun of like startup <laughs> naming conventions today. Well, really, really, really effective abbreviations there. <laughs> yeah. So, because that's what it does. Uh, uh, shit, I did the wrong thing. All right. So, how does it work? Uh, okay. So, down here we have a keyboard, right? And when you type a letter in the keyboard, no shift key on here. You have like uppercase and lowercase are separate. When you type on the keyboard you release up here what's called a matrix, right? That's these various things stacked up up here. Now, a matrix is the reverse of a sort, right? The sort being, you know, the individual piece of movable type, right? So your, your matrix is this right here. You can see it's like an A, it's upside down, right? In this mm -hmm. case, I think it has two settings. You have a regular A and an italic A, depending on what key you press. All right, so... This goes down into the chute, right? And it goes into what's called the assembling elevator, right? Sometimes just called the assembler. I think more commonly just called the assembler. And then you have a, you have a guide at the end that tells you how long the line is, right? So <laughs> you type one line of text, all those matrices go down, they fall in the assembling elevator, then you say you're done with the line. The assembling elevator brings it up, right? And then there's a, a thing that shoves the type forward, and this is where the hot molten lead comes in, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this took a took a ton that I was not expecting. Yes, it's called hot metal typography <laughs> because it requires hot metal, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a giant a better <laughs> metal to use. <laughs> Than lead, it has a low melting point. Yes, that means it's less dangerous. All right. <laughs> Don't let your kids like that. Don't let your kids yeah. like that. <laughs> it's operated by adults who know not to eat the molten lead. Mostly. Mostly, yes. Mostly. So, this is shoved over here, where the various matrices that form a full line of text are forced, they're like grabbed and forced together, right, into a um, you know, sort of a solid mass, and then high pressure molten lead is cast against them. And then there's a rotating doohickey in here, so it can cool four lines of text simultaneously before it shoves out the completed line of text, which goes right here, right? And those oh, are fuck. Um, I get how this works now. Okay, yes, uh, you're literally now, you're casting your type exactly, uh, at, like line by line. Now there's another thing in here I forgot to mention before. There's a special thing with the space bar, right? So, when you're making these lines of text, they all need to be the same size, right? So, the only way they can do that is through justification, right? You increase or decrease the amount of space between the words, right? So, when you hit the space bar, it doesn't drop down a matrix, right? There's a wedge that gets shoved in, right? And then, when... When you finish the line, those wedges are jammed up as much as they can go to ensure that everything's spread apart evenly. It's mechanical justification. That's so smart. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see why this is like the apotheosis of mechanical engineering. Yeah. You, you're, you're like, you're manufacturing 
like uh, uh, instead of hunting around for an extra e or whatever, you just type in the line, mm-hmm. and you have the casts in place for it to make out of hot lead a an, an entire line's worth that you then imprint onto the paper. Yes, that's and so uh, smart. Fuck. Once the matrices had been used, they're raised up, I believe, through here, right, and they're shoved over, and then like a big arm brings them up. And it brings them up to the top, right? Now you see right here uh-huh. on the matrix, there is this series, there's like this keyed sort of thing, right? That's so it goes on a rail and it's pushed along by a worm gear, right? And they're all keyed so they drop into specific places, right? And they're wow. ready for you to be That's used genius. again. That's um, incredible. So yeah. these 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 cast lines of type are called slugs. Here's one down here, right? And um, this is an incredible piece of machinery. They were first built in 1866. Of course, at that time they would have also been driven by you know overhead uh, shafts and belts, right? And you would have probably a hot steam line to melt the lead. Right? <laughs> Just That's incredible working conditions. So, but they they were built for a long time. This picture right here is a model built in 1965. Wow! Uh, and this was this this is in the Deutsche Museum in Munich. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, if, if 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 it works, why why change? Right? Exactly. Like, uh, right. You know. So there's also one of the problems with this, of course, is there's no backspace uh, backspace key on a backspace. line of type. Backspace. backspace. Yeah. <laughs> there's no backspace key on a linotype machine, right? Um, so you know you could go and take the matrices out manually if you wanted to, if you screwed up a line. But more often, what uh, operators would do is they would just you know finish the line by typing the first uh, letters they could. Um, which was usually E T A O I N S H R D L U, right? You know, right, right down here. But sometimes they'd forget to discard the line of type. So we see down here an example on local bowling alleys. This was an excellent showing. And and then yeah. This was something that was just fairly common in uh, linotype newspapers. Is like they just forget, and no one would catch it in like um, you know uh, proofing the newspaper, right? But um, mm. so the linotype machine was incredible because you could suddenly have one guy, you know, all he had to do was type in the article, right? And and you would suddenly, you know, rather than having a whole bunch of guys individually placing in movable type, you could have one guy do a whole shitload in one evening, right? Right. And this just reduced labor costs. Like this, this incredibly complex and stupid yeah. machine was <laughs> full still, of molten lead. Full of molten and lead. Steam pipes. <laughs> yeah, was, a deal. that was still cheaper than like. <laughs> this is still cheaper than doing manual movable type. Yeah, just having oh, yeah. a bunch of guys play fucking Scrabble with individual <laughs> letters. Yeah. So. Um, but this, this meant it was easier to start a, a high circulation newspaper, right? Um, you replace them with some linotype operators and usually there'd be a machinist 
there in the in the in the linotype shop to just you know machine replacement parts as needed. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I don't want to think about one of these like presumably what hundreds thousands of individual uh, like matrix keys. Uh, if one of those doesn't go back on, going wrong, yeah. yeah, fuck, yeah, that'll be a, yeah, that'll be, that's a fun repair, yeah. It just goes in the wrong spot, and the whole the whole shop it just explodes in a, 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 a gigantic like wave of molten lead. Well, there was there were a couple safety devices in here because if you did if you did a line if the if a line was the long wrong length, right, and you shoved it in the wrong way, it would just squirt a jet of molten lead out. Oh hmm. fuck! Yeah, so you'd want to avoid that. Um, so, in the sort of linotype era, in the early era, we could start doing more newspapers because more people had, you know, it was easier to have a wide, widely circulating newspaper. So, like the Boston Globe, that's 1872, Washington Post, 1877, Wall Street Journal, that's 1889. You know, these were all these sort of yes, new money showing up. <laughs> and this means since you have reduced labor costs, right, and you can. Uh, typeset the newspaper more quickly, that means you have a, an extended deadline, right? You can get news in later in the day, right? You can add more news to the newspaper. You can print a bigger newspaper, right? Um, now, yeah. new, making a newspaper is still incredibly labor and capital intensive, but it's a little bit easier than it was before. And you can more easily create a larger and fleshed out product as opposed to, you know, a sheet of paper with some news on it, right? Hmm. Um, and since there's cheaper printing and layout, it it means you can have more newspapers to fill niches, right? And this is this is when we start to see, uh, especially African American newspapers. Uh, you know, so this is a this this picture is actually from the linotype shop of the Chicago Defender, right? Um, hmm. This is a this was a black owned newspaper oriented towards black people, published in Chicago from 1905 onwards. Right. This is also the copies of this newspaper were surreptitiously and often illegally distributed throughout um, the South. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Through through That's a awesome. network of Pullman porters. Um, That's yeah. awesome. So. You know, so there's a lot of a lot of black owned newspapers uh, were formed in this era, you know, because the you know, there's sort of a baseline level of racism in, you know, every newspaper in America. Right. Oh, because, yeah. Oh, what a, yeah. An entirely, <laughs> an entirely distant phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. No, thank God we live in a post-racial society. Yeah. This, was, this was before it was acceptable to not be racist in polite society. <laughs> a lot of white people thinking, oh, I don't want to be, but, you know, what, what are the boys at the office going to think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I you know, I, I can I cannot be racist in private at home, but I can't do it in public. <laughs> <laughs> This is also where you get like a bunch of like uh, foreign language papers, right? Like New York, you get a bunch of like Yiddish language newspapers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Or a bunch of German language newspapers, or uh, like French or Italian or whatever. We have to get a custom linotype machine for that too. You know, that'd be the other thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
like a lot of times there'd be like special linotype machines on the floor for different fonts. You know, that's what <laughs> that's one of the reasons why like there's you know you you say font foundry um, as opposed to like. You know, the, the, the fonts were like, you know, th- this is not just, you know, the shape of letters, you know, on a computer file. This was like an actual set of pieces of metal they sent you. Yeah, in, in, in lead. So fonts yeah. used to be a much deadlier proposition. Well, certainly once you had linotype machines, they'd send you the matrices. They wouldn't send you, you know, the, uh, the, the leads. Uh, ah, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Types, oh. yeah. So... Beginning yeah. to understand, though, why uh, it took so long for Russia to get Russian-language newspapers. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, because you have to do an entirely uh, an entirely separate alphabet, let alone font. Cool. Oh yeah. So, so one of the first uh, uh, African-American newspapers of this kind was uh, our own boys, the Philadelphia Tribune. Um, that was 1884, right? But Obviously, and obviously you don't go out and you just buy a linotype machine at this point, right? These are still incredibly expensive machines, um, incredibly complex machines that require a lot of technical know-how to run. Um, but scaling up production once you had enough money to have a consistent you know, market share was much, much cheaper thanks to the linotype machine. Hmm. Um, and this led to you know, the sort of rise of, uh, you know, the large daily newspaper. And here, here is a cross-section that was published in the Washington Evening Star in 1922. Uh, uh, what, the, what, evening what, uh, the Evening Tar. The Evening Tar, yeah. Go, go, go Heels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, e- the, even, the Evening Tar at uh, 11th and Pennsylvania. Yes. This building's still still there, actually. Um, right here. Huh. Uh, you, you can see the Evening Star is dead. Um, they also added this weird postmodern addition to it, which I don't like. Ugh. Yeah. So, but anyway, you can see, like, this is, you know, ju- journalism at the time was, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, journalism, writing, you know, literary, blah, blah, blah. But it's also, like, heavy industry as well. Um, hmm. So you can see, like, We'll go down from the ninth floor down. You know, we had a cafeteria on the ninth floor. That's very nice. You get like a nice view. Um, you know, you have a you have a stock ticker. That's probably a uh, one of those teletype machines, right? Uh, oh, I love those. Then we have right here. This whole room is linotype machines. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Your and all of this stuff is co-located too. You don't get yeah. the thing that a modern newspaper has, where the printing just happens off-site somewhere. Oh yeah. You have proofreaders over here to make sure that the linotype guys didn't screw up. You had a club room. I don't know. I, I don't know if everyone was allowed in here. I hope they were. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is this is where like four guys smoke cigars and are like, yeah, we should start a war with Cuba. <laughs> Remember the main. Yeah. You got your editor in chief here. You got your associate editor. You got a lobby. You got editorial writers. Over here, you have a library, right? Because you don't have the internet. You have to go consult the newspaper's library to find information. (laughs) Or you can go down to the public library. Of course, you can also do that. But you would try and consult the one in the building first. They have an interview room. Wow. You have this this city room for, like, local news. There's all these other editors over here. 
They got a whole room for sports illustrations. Wow. Um, they had the cartoon. Literally, he, like, how do you do <laughs> illustrations? Like, how do you get this one published? A guy has to like ink all of those, and then like, fuck, how do you even transfer that to printer? Mm -hmm. I have no idea about that part. I, maybe someone can sound off in the comments. I don't know how you did that in the twenties. You got like a cartoonist over here. Um, you get the huh. photo department. You get the Sunday department. They just don't show up most days. Um, <laughs> they got a really good union. Now they rented out a bunch of the space in here. There's like offices of the Consolidated Press Association, Washington Board of Trade, blah blah blah. As you go further down, we get more Better Business Bureau. That's in quotes, though. You know they're skeptical of them. <laughs> just sarcastically, like yeah. the Better Business Bureau. Yeah. Well, we go down here. We see like the printing rooms, right? A lot of this, some of this is underground. You can see that the circulation department here, there's um, the, pretty, the printing presses are, you know, just these gigantic pieces of kit right here. And those go up to the circulation department where they sort of assemble the newspaper and it goes down a chute and they load it into trucks, right? And down in the bottom, they got like paper storage. They got like all this industrial equipment. They got a boiler room because it's all steam powered. <laughs> Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then they got oh, they got dynamos and shit. Like, and then you, got, <laughs> you had a nice lobby. They had a nice lobby down here, right? Which is very, very nice, open to the public, where people can go in and submit classified ads, which is the bread and <clears throat> butter of any newspaper. Was <laughs> as opposed to unclassified ads. Mm -hmm. Classified <laughs> ads are where they teach you to be, tell you to meet at a location on Ninth Street. Yeah. Uh, bring a pistol. You're gonna need it. Yeah. <laughs> but like I, I do I do like how many how much like spying off the period was just like classified ads and shit like that. That that <laughs> appeals to me immensely. Uh I think I could say this. My mother actually uh was did not did, this was many years ago, folks. I did want to say this. Uh my mom once answered a classified ad that turned out to be CIA recruitment. Huh. And showed up at uh, the CIA uh, headquarters in beautiful Langley, Virginia, uh, for her interview, and was just scared shitless. But yeah, the CIA used to just, you know, hey guys, want to come do some imperialism? <laughs> oh yeah, come, to, come down to the building that we call a highway department building, but everyone knows it's not. <laughs> yeah. Every, everybody gets next left. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta start a podcast if you want to do that shit now. <laughs> My dad's uh, yearly company picnic was always on, uh, there's a park across the street from the CIA building. That's where it was. It was <laughs> very like, secret building, do not look. Yeah, very, very, very secret, do not look, yeah. I mean, you can just see it, like, everyone knew it was the CIA, they claimed it wasn't, it was, it's the CIA. Like, you can go look at it, like, it's just there. <laughs> we, know, we know for a fact it's not a highway department building, it's CIA. It says, like, CIA on it. Yeah, oh, you're not, says CIA you're not on the off-ramp. <laughs> it does! <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's the NSA. The NSA oh, has fuck the yeah, you're right. Yeah, the NSA has the labeled offering. Yeah. <laughs> it literally, it's just secret government shenanigans next right. Yes. So, anyway, this is one of the smaller newspapers. It has Because Washington, D.C. was not a large place in 1922. Um, I think they moved out of here at some point because they needed a larger printing area, right? Um, 
And they, they also moved out of there because they were kind of on the decline. The Evening Star is out of business now. Um, uh, the decline of print media. Yes. Typical. But if you I will like, be saying this about every <laughs> single era that we encounter. <laughs> if you have like a big newspaper like the Philadelphia Inquirer, here's the building right here. Um, this was built in the early 1900s, right? So you Ooh. have, you had on-site printing. If you had a big paper with lots of circulation, that meant you needed a big printing building. So the offices of the newspaper were in this tower here, and the rest of this was devoted exclusively to printing the newspaper. Right? Good wow. Word. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you had these, uh, if you're running a big city paper, you need it to be very close to, um, well, in this case, Center City. Otherwise, I would say downtown, um, which um, meant that, you know, you're looking at, but you also need a huge quantity of paper, right? So you essentially need rail delivery. And this is why the Reading Railroad City branch was built that goes right through here, mostly underground. Well, in this, in this part underground. Um, and they would just, you know, drop off like six or seven boxcar loads of newsprint every day so they could print the newspaper. Because um, you couldn't bring trucks in. There's just so much you needed, right? Mm. They, they they kept that up until the 1980s. Until, wow. you know, eventually they were like, yep, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to move the printing somewhere else because we're lame. And you can't boring. just, yeah, because we're too, we're too boring to run a massive freight train full of paper and ink through the middle of a city yes. anymore. But, I mean, the right of way was there. The right of way is still yeah. there. You could still, still run there. a freight train yeah. there. Yeah. Fucking run that, reopen that shit immediately. That's that's our that's our campaign. After after burn down all the police precincts and after uh, fund all of the like uh, the bail funds and the reconstruction funds is reopen uh, newsprint delivery by rail into uh, Center City. But that's complex though, because the Enquirer has mm. since yeah, moved hard. moved out of this building. They're now somewhere over here. We'll talk about that later. And um, this building was vacant for a couple decades, I believe. They're now renovating it into the new police headquarters. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. if you burn down yeah, the once police... Again, if you burn down the police headquarters... The market wasn't good enough for them. That was so, what, so what you're dumb. telling me, what you're telling me is that the new police station of a police department that has just been on video brutalizing people has an open but largely unknown railroad going directly underneath and into it. Oh yeah, well it's not- Have well, you read V for Vendetta? <laughs> something, something deeply that makes me kind of laugh, a little darkly, is that the Inquirer won a Pulitzer in the 70s, or is reporting on police brutality, I believe under Mayor Rizzo, whose statue is now hopefully in hell, and now the cops yeah. are gonna move into that yeah. building. Uh, because nothing, we can't have anything nice. Can't have anything yeah. nice, yeah. Well, they were going to well, move to West Philly, and then they fully renovated that building for the police to move in, but and they decided they didn't want to. to. Do it too, yeah. But millions of dollars to do it. I would love to have the privilege to like be as choosy a tenant as the cops seem to get to be. <laughs> Just like I, I, I go yeah. to my landlord, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not really feeling it. You know, maybe if you do some <laughs> more improvements. They, they didn't want to take uh, the L to work. I believe was the thing. 
They didn't want. They, they didn't want to potentially <laughs> yeah, have God to take the L. That you have to like be goddamn, around there's people. There's a goddamn Lambo in their parking lot every fucking day. Take the goddamn L. There is a Lamborghini Urus. There's a there's a yellow Lamborghini Urus in the in the Philly Police Department's parking lot. You can see it with your own two eyes. Once and again, that's, you know, dismantle the police if for no other reason than again, I don't have a Lambo and they do. Reminded don't. of the fact that. American police seize more in civil asset forfeiture than Americans lose in burglary every year by a yep. wide margin. Yep. Yes. So, this was the reason why you need a huge printing building right there in the center of downtown and all these like, uh, all these like infrastructure to support it is just because you couldn't like electronically transmit the paper somewhere else to be printed, like in Lancaster County or somewhere like that, right? The printing had to be, absolutely had to be co-located with the rest of the journalism operations, right? Mm. So, as we move into the 20th century, uh, the latter half, we, we see improvements in printing technology, one of which is something called offset printing, right? So, we're, we're rather than hot metal typesetting, we can now do things uh, in, in such a way that, I don't know what the interim method was. I know there was one, but at some point you could do a lot of stuff electronically and you could sort of print onto a big metal plate, which you could then use to print a shitload of newspapers at once. You can see this is a big offset printer and the newsprint is going so fast it's a blur. Right. Yeah, like that that's where you get the like montage of the like spinning newspaper. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually you don't want in this. If newspapers are spinning directly at you in this, something has gone uh, badly wrong. If you put your finger in the wrong place here, you get a real nasty paper cut. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're losing a whole bunch of stuff. Oh well, yeah, you get a paper cut that takes off your whole arm. It's <laughs> <laughs> called efficiency, thank you. You're just like opening up the paper and being like, huh, it says here in the paper, blood. <laughs> No, it's like a real nice, clean cut. There's no blood whatsoever. <laughs> the paper's gone so fast it cauterizes the wound. <laughs> oh, no. You don't even notice that your arm is gone until you go to, like, smoke a cigarette or something. There's another one gone. They call it printer's arm. <laughs> so... All right, so you, you can now do, like, a uh, newspaper layout without, you know, hot metal typesetting. Newspaper production, again, becomes cheaper. It becomes less labor-intensive, right? Deadlines yeah, can you be have to pay out again. fewer people for, like, jets of molten lead to the face-related yeah. injuries. Yeah. <sighs> but you can also, like, you can print more news this way, because the deadline is longer. Um, decisions happen later in the night. Um... Printing oh happens boy. later in the morning. It's like foreshadowing. <laughs> you know, you you can just cram more news in. You can print more news. Like overall, uh, you've you've um, and you're still like charging money for a physical newspaper, right? Mm. Right. And and journalists, which like journalists by this point is like an actual profession with like uh good pay and things of that nature mostly and so they can they're, they're quite pleased at the like longer deadlines because they can like do day drinking longer. This is true yes and the other thing is like I don't think you actually like laid off a lot of um you know folks who did like the actual production of the newspaper through this process 
circulation was still going up and up and up and up. Right? Like inf- infamously in Britain, even after they moved everything offsite to Docklands, uh, printers famously were very well organized. Right. Um, I mean, they, they they did bust that eventually, thanks to Rupert Murdoch, billionaire Australian tyrant. But um, uh, right up until, like, right through the eighties, I remember, uh, like, Docklands print workers were like thoroughly unionized, and so it was very difficult to fire people. Yeah, I mean, you know, good. Good. you need you need a lot of you know these are good union these were good union jobs. Yeah, it's, they, it's, they still it's are good union jobs to an extent, um, mm-hmm. and um, you know. Running heavy machinery, you know, it's a good way to get a union job if you can get into it. But then, right. you know, so we get into like the 1990s, right? Um, which is sort of the the peak of print journalism. Right? Yeah, it was so good that you could print joke yeah, newspapers. You could print the Onion. I used to uh. pick up the Onion in print like every week when I was in high school. It came out on uh. Friday. It was wonderful. You just had a print edition of the Onion. The AV Club was in the back. It's great. Um, this is yeah, actually but it didn't. It didn't have the comment section. So oh god. So it was better. <laughs> it was better. <laughs> Zodiac who? Were a mistake. <laughs> Go to something awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the 1990s, you know, local newspapers—they're just gigantic behemoths, right? Um, some, some of them are printing out, like, they're putting out multiple editions of the newspaper each day, right? Sometimes there's multiple editions for different geographic regions. Sometimes there's newspapers uh-huh. in different languages. They got all this kind of stuff, right? You know, they have massive, massive labor-intensive, huge departments with lots of people devoted to, like, specific subjects, you know, especially local reporting, right? Your local newspaper is going to tell you all about what your council person is doing, like, all this kind of crap. Generally the speaking, the horrible right? shit the cops are doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's that's why we have Pulitzers for local reporting. Yeah, that's you, how you like pay shit. a guy enough to sit through every fucking city council meeting, mm-hmm. and eventually some news falls out because in like item twenty-seven of the city budget is just like I don't know, uh, like the hush fund for like corrupt cops or something. Yes, and, yeah. I mean, and that's you know the Boston Globe winning its uh, Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer for with their whatever their special news team basically spotlights having having the ability to fund shit like that and I I remember kind of as an aside uh, back when old old Gawker not even Gawker but back with old Deadspin they moved to like a they had a special you know reporting unit and now that's dead because of as we'll get into private equity money and and media consolidation so Mm. like your local Mm -hmm. newspaper. Yeah, especially in a place like Philly, probably won a couple Pulitzers, and is instrumental in the idea of kind of keeping keeping people accountable for what that means in 2020, I suppose. Yeah, and you had jobs that were not precarious, so like local journalist was a career track that you could do, yeah. and you could like develop the skills to like and the contacts that you need in journalism to be able to write about like. A city's politics, or uh, like a town's politics, much more effectively than if you're just like some guy who's just out of journalism school who's going to get fired or laid off the next year, right? Or even yeah. you know extending it just to sports coverage. You know, uh, one of the things like reading ESPN sucks, and one mm. of the things that you know local journalism is really good for, although it might not seem as meaningful, is local sports coverage because you know a team 
and, and you know there are there are arguments against that like access and favoritism but if you've got a guy who's been with a team for you know 25 30 years they might you might get a more honest look as opposed to just espn running four stories all featuring like lavar ball or some shit yeah everything yeah. like i i would rather i would much rather uh like read a a well-crafted piece of sports writing uh than a listicle about like oh it's like the top 20 draft picks or whatever it's like who gives a shit yeah because and yeah. And, and again going back to like even in a place like uh like your Pennsylvania, you know we actually have two newspapers still which is goofy as all hell uh but they're able to provide coverage in a mid-sized city that may not get the attention that it normally would and one of the reasons they can do that uh and, and those newspapers are actually so a bit of an aside here york pennsylvania had a white supremacist for a mayor uh his name was charlie <laughs> robertson i mean this is york so you know comes to the territory but he murdered a black woman allegedly murdered a black woman named lily bell allen in the 60s during race riots in york when Jesus. he was a cop and the reason that that story and he was actually tried much later. It was I remember reading about it as a kid. One of the reasons he was tried, one of the reasons he was, you know, even they got to that point was because the the York newspapers kind of never let the shit go. Mm. It didn't just get buried somewhere. They never let the shit go. And you know, he was acquitted. But I I, I think, you know, if York didn't have those newspapers, we just had our fucking Fox affiliate, that shit would never have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You need you need a local newspaper if if for no other reason than if it doesn't irritate the shit out of the mayor and the chief of police and whoever else, it's also gonna have like a fucking weird ass name, and that's the important thing to me. Is like I I want to be able to read uh like a the name of town uh Mercury Picayune or something. <laughs> There's also but- the shit uh Stephen Reed. Who is absolutely the, the one of the funniest because Harrisburg is hell, and I mm. cannot uh, I cannot uh, say this enough. But one of the reasons Stephen Reed ended up getting charged with like five hundred counts of theft, fraud, and corruption after his twenty eight uh, years as mayor, and one of the reasons was again local news just kept their foot on it. Do not underestimate the might of the local Times Post intelligence. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, all three of those together. It's got to be all three of those together. <laughs> yeah, like obviously, like you know, the, these these institutions, like these these papers with like, um, you know, there there are problems with like access journalism even back then, um, and still today. But you know, again, having a well funded local newspaper is probably better than not having that. And one of one of the reasons why these uh, newspapers were so well funded is because of advertising. Right, as well as being able to sell a physical paper, right? So, one of the things about advertising in a physical newspaper, as opposed to advertising online, is that the costs make more sense, right? Mm. So, let's say I take out a full-page ad. Um, you know, this is the whole newspaper, I take out a full-page ad. I'm expected to pay for the cost of printing that page and the cost of adding an extra page to the newspaper, right? Plus a fee. 
um, plus extra if I want the add in color, right? And if I have a circulation of a couple million, like if I'm a big newspaper, that's a chunk of change. Yeah. So, you know, even when, when I worked at, again, our rinky dink student newspaper, the Triangle at Drexel, even, even back when print journalism was on the decline, this is like 2000. 2014, 15, 14, yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, you, you were paying $1,100 for a full page ad in our, in our rinky dink paper. Right. And then you had classifieds right. too. Classifieds were charged per letter. And that was even better than like you a full page commercial ad. C, I, and A. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and newspapers had a monopoly on classified ad for a while, you know, and, and you per, Per column inch, those made a lot of money. Column inch is like you have you have one column in the newspaper, and then there's like one one inch, right? That's a column inch. Um, and they made a shitload of money doing this, just between commercial advertising, uh, you know, classifieds, uh, Donald Trump taking out editorials as advertisements <laughs> saying that the uh, yeah. Central Park Five should be, I don't know, um, ha- hung, drawn, and quartered. Hang, yeah. excuse not, me. Not all good. Yeah, but... not all good, but, you know, brings in money for the newspaper, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so, you know, these, these newspapers, especially in the 90s, um, they were printing money almost as fast as they were printing newspapers. Well, yeah, because you've got the machines right there. You just yeah. like, yeah, and you know, advertising people that you were making so much money off of advertising that like it was relatively practical to put out like a free newspaper, right? So you know, I, I there there were like commuter papers I remember, which was really good. The Washington Post Express I used to pick up every day. You had like alternative weeklies, the city papers, some stuff like that. Yeah, which again, land of contrasts. Like yes. you get. Like the stranger in Seattle, uh, which launches the career of Dan Savage and also does a bunch of turf shit, uh, like relatedly. Or you can get like a good alternative weekly. It's yeah. it's entirely variable. And then you had the Onion print edition, um, yeah. pictured here. This is the last issue, December twelfth, twenty thirteen, um, volume forty nine, issue fifty. Uh, <laughs> Which was very, very sad. I, I, have a, I have a copy of this somewhere back at home. Because um, I was very unhappy when it was like, the onion's going away. Oh, God. I mean, obviously, it's still around. It's just online. But there's something nice about being able to pick up the onion outside of King Street Metro, you know? Yeah. This is, yeah. This is like, this tracks so neatly to, like, a movie plot. This is the bit where they're like... The drug kingpin is like, we were making so much money, we didn't know what to do with it. And you yeah. just have like a montage of like guys putting like stacks of cash into oil barrels and stuff. <laughs> All right. Losing, losing whatever 10 million a year to just rats eating it. Yeah. 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 Well, the Fed does that all the time. All right. <laughs> Liam put in a slide. I, I uh, yield my, my time. Slide? Is it my slide? Yeah. You put in Nixon. Oh, I did put it next to him. You want right, me to put the, the things- like the notes the, on the screen for you? Oh, I know. I'm good. I'm oh, wait, good. there's a Nixon slide? I, I don't have the Nixon, Nixon slide. slide. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, yeah, don't no, put up the Nixon slide. Hang on. All right, yeah, so here's Nixon. Great. 
that I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, especially with the decline of print journalism, sort of the consolidation of media. Um, the fact that, like, these institutions can be, like, A, are powerful, and B, can be used for good. Like, the fact that the New York Times published the Pentagon Papers, I don't know if we want to get into the whole history of that, but basically, Daniel Ellsberg, who had worked on the study that became known as the Pentagon Papers, uh, by 1969 realized that the war was essentially unwinnable and released portions of the papers uh, to the New York Times, who published them front page, uh, detailing mm. uh, the Johnson administration's massive expansion of the war, how poorly it had been going, and as well as I, I mean, Nixon's in- incursion into Cambodia. Yeah, go as, ahead. As, as a yardstick for, like, uh, the freedom of the press and, like, the yeah. uh, assertiveness of the press, compare that to the treatment that uh, Chelsea Manning got, or Reality Winner got, mm-hmm. or right, John Kiriakou exactly. got. Exactly, and that's kind of what I wanted to illustrate. Like, do you fucking think the New York Times and Washington Post would run the Pentagon Papers today? No, no, no. Fuck and, no. And, and, and they well, they, ran, they you know, no one ran the Panama over. Papers. No, no yeah. one gave a fuck. Yeah, yeah. they, they were in the just... Guardian for a little bit, and you could like search the database, and then nothing happened. Yeah, and I think I everybody that. involved knew that nothing would happen, and so nobody was that stressed about it. Apart from that one Maltese journalist who got mysteriously killed with a car bomb right after. Um, yeah. but like, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, this I mean, is the it, problem, right? Every, everybody, like, everybody glorifies Woodward and Bernstein for good reason. Um, mm-hmm. but like, it, you can trace the effects and the decline of print media in the careers of Bob Woodward and Robert Bernstein, because like, like, what they're, what they're up to now, like, the, I think it's Woodward who has the, um, the, like, Inside the Trump White House book, but for like years and years, he was like fully on board with like the Iraq War and with the Bush administration, and it just like it felt like you wanted to be like, are you the same guy who did the? Th- what happened, man? Yeah, I mean, this is Woodward. It, it, it was it's such a damn shame because Woodward, you know, went on CNN and defended uh, the idea that there were WMDs. Uh, in Iraq, and which of course there weren't, and like that's one of the things that I also kind of wanted to loop into is like I don't like not the fake news, you know, Freedom Eagle dot one Hillary criminal uh, <laughs> dot uh, US shit, but one of the things is like you should you should as we've said on this podcast numerous times be skeptical of big institutions. Why would the New York Times run an op-ed by Tom Cotton and they can hide behind? The sort of insane bullshit of you know both sidesism, uh, and uh, and that sort of thing. But like you like if you think media, especially now, doesn't have bias and doesn't have an agenda, you need to read more essentially, mm-hmm. and you need to learn more, and you need to understand that like Jeff fucking Bezos has a vested interest in keeping things away from you. Democracy dies in darkness. I mean, yeah, like, uh, did, uh, yeah. even if, like, seen... one or two times they pr- they produce an article that's, like, critical of Jeff Bezos, you know, like, for all the casual journalism, they're like, oh, yeah, Jeff Bezos, he's a pretty great guy. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> have, have you seen the, like, videos that people have put together of, this is TV rather than print, but uh, all of the Sinclair affiliated... Yeah, it, yep. Deadspin put that out. Uh, oh my that. god! Yeah, yeah. well, like they will, they will like have a package uh, that they'll just ship to affiliates, pre-scripted, 
and then they'll run it. And so you can put all of these side by side, and you can have a, like uh, fifty different uh, anchors all saying in absolute unison, uh, "This is a threat to our democracy. Uh, it rules." Um, there's been an absolute like withering away of the. Uh, if there ever was independence of the press, there's been like a, a tightening of that leash yes. the capital has around it. Yes, and that's one of the things. Is like when you know Deadspin got bought out by uh, whatever the PE firm was, uh, Great Hill Partners or some shit. Mm -hmm. Like Deadspin was writing stories and doing things that nobody else was fucking doing, and nobody else yeah. would write. And like that's that's one of the things. Is like you know it's it's important to understand the value, I think, of people who do exist sort of outside either this, like, grift, you know, especially right-wing grifter space, so to speak, as we all, you know, get cancelled. Um, the griftocracy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's important to look at sources and news outside of that. And, like, mm -hmm. you know... Well, like, there's a reason the means, why Peter Thiel had to destroy <laughs> Gorka, right? And it's not just because, oh, they outed him. And it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and defend everything that Gorka did or the attitude with which they went into that, where mm -hmm. they went into a Florida courtroom and like this smug dipshit was like they put the the like um, associate editor of Gorka on the stand and one of one of Peter Thiel indirectly one of one of Hulk Hogan's lawyers uh, asked you know if if you if you had a sex tape. Uh, would would you run it if it was newsworthy? And he said, yeah. And uh, the next question was, how uh, like how young would the people in that sex tape have to be before you would not run it? And the guy like jokingly, he did an irony. He did a bit. He was no. like, oh, I don't know, like eleven. And <laughs> yeah, this went over exactly as well as you would expect. And now the Gorka doesn't exist anymore. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. It's it. Any kind of like even even that land of contrasts ass outlet uh, provided too much of a threat to be to be allowed to continue to publish. Exactly. I was say, uh, Alice, the way you said Gawker sounds like Sebastian. Yeah, Gorka. Sebastian Sebastian Gorka. Gorka. Yeah, I. I Greetings, Mister Chapo. Hop <laughs> <laughs> on down to the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Chapo, would you consider a, a, a surface-level series of tattoos to be indicative of an allegiance? Oh, Alright, alright. No, yeah, we, are the, we, are the we are the podcast of Bashes of Pipeline. Sorry, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's happened yeah. now. Sorry, guys. But, yeah. you know, so... Alright. Uh, so, all these newspapers are making a shitload of money, then what happens? Uh, I have a soundbite for this, as you transition yeah, into the next thing. It's, uh, yeah, no, the yeah. fucking... Just drink that in. Yes. It's nostalgia. I feel like we should have had this this um this slide come in line by line. <laughs> Just loads like very slowly. You get the like dead image uh, thumbnail a couple of times. You've got mail. You've got mail. Thank you. 
<laughs> All right. So this thing ha happens called internet, right? Internet mm. happens. People start going on the computer. They start going on the computer. One of the greatest Second mistakes. Second great era of posting. And they ruined the Usenet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so after the 90s, like, you know, I think we all know what sort of happened is, you know, more and, pe more, and more people are getting their news online rather than in print. You know, newspapers start putting articles up online, right? And the online, of course, had the potential to revolutionize reporting. News could get to more people than ever before, right? This could reduce overhead for newspapers again. They could probably, you know, invest that money into better reporting. They could, you know, overall improve everything for everyone, right? You know, this, this, this was a revolutionary moment. Yeah. Let, anything, let me just... Anything could have happened. Let, right? let me just check uh, wh whether that happened. I've got to like log into my AOL account. And... You've got mail. Yeah, no, they didn't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Line goes down. Let's talk about the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, <laughs> which I think I think has been um, more and more. You know, it's being recognized Sweet more and more. Marks. People are people are talking about it more and more, and there are many such cases. And we're looking into this very strongly. That uh, that there's a tendency. Look, I, I've spoken to a lot of economists, and they say it's bullshit. Um, but you know, <laughs> one of those economists is not the Economist magazine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, one of the problems with online. Uh, news is that the advertising does not bring in anywhere close to the amount of revenue that print advertising did, just because print advertising was based on something concrete, and online advertising is, you know, uh, I, I don't know, based on, like, fairy dust and, you know, yeah, it, you know some, also, some also garbage. Like, it, it, it's an effect of other monopolies, which is quite funny, like, uh, to see print media, which has been incredibly monopolistic at times, being murdered at the hands of, like, all of your advertising money just goes into Google AdSense and, like, black box auctions for, like, what keywords get put up. You know, online advertising fees, right, they're not proportional at all to print advertising fees. I mean, you know, okay, so think about, like, the cost of printing the newspaper, right? If I were to add another line to this, you know, the cost of printing the newspaper eats up a significant amount of this advertising revenue, right? And also, it's probably probably costs more to print the newspaper than the advertising revenue right now, which I'm sure is another problem. Um, mm. But this whole space right here, you know, if we're gonna go ahead and integrate that, gives you a lot of room to have like really high quality reporting. You know, you have a uh, a nice um. You know, you have a nice building, you have a big news team, you have all this kind of nice stuff. You have a lot of wiggle room there. You have, you're running a business with uh, a lot of fat, and you can use that fat to do quality reporting. You can do all this sort of shit that now you can't really do. No, you, you can't even have your club room with the cigars on the top floor of the building so much. Which, why would you have a newspaper if you can't do that? Yeah, uh, that's the entire point of this racket, is to be able to sit there with William Randolph Hearst and just, like, pick out on a globe where where you're gonna, like, uh, intervene against next. And even if your cost of 
you know, online is much lower than your cost of printing, the the delta between your revenue and your costs is still so much lower mm. than what print media got you. But right? also, like we should say that like media as an industry, print media has been remarkably slow to adapt to the internet, even still. Um, largely because it became so so fatty and so ossified that, like, because you could have a whole career in journalism at one paper, uh, you could then become the guy who makes these decisions and, like, be dealing with the advent of the internet and just be a how do I rotate PDF guy. You could be like, do I know what a JPEG is? I mean, there's that, but I I, I suppose I shouldn't have said like fat, right? Because a lot of this is not fat. This is muscle. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is what makes the newspaper run. And like, this is the difference between being, you know, I don't know. I, you, you can't run the same kind of operation with this much wiggle room as you can with this much wiggle room, right? You, no. you, you can't, you know, have the one guy who works six months at a time on one story and like he breaks it and it sells a million newspapers. You can't, you can't really do that anymore when you, you have just this amount of space to work with. I mean, it's, it's a totally different environment. And this is like, mm. because, because of both like print advertising, like uh, folks don't want to do that anymore. They want to do online because mm. it's cheaper. It doesn't work as well. What, it works about the same because all advertising works the same amount, which is it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but print advertising doesn't work, but it's also cheap. Excuse me, online advertising doesn't work, but it's also cheaper. Um, you know, you're, you 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 may be getting your message out to ten times as many people mm. as you did when you were a print operation, but you're making ten times less income. Yeah, right. and also the advertising is is much more annoying and like hinders the news experience much more because you're trying to read the article and like a uh, uh, a little gif of a Toyota Rav Four fucking drives <laughs> across your screen. Yeah, or you have like an autoplay ad, or like there's a whole like uh, there's a there's like a ad that takes up the whole screen. There's a reason for that, and that's because these operations can't. They're 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 seek they're eking out as much revenue as they can. Because they know it's not enough to maintain the amount of reporting that they could do, like, like ten years ago. I mean, this this drop right here—that's like two thousand five to like two thousand nine. That's not just like the um, uh, like the economic recession. This this is a catastrophe. If you run uh -huh. a print newspaper, this is the, you you had to lay off so many people. You had to. Like contract your, your your newsroom to the point where it's a shell of its former self. Like mm. there's like there's nothing left. I and mean, with with that blood in the water, you then get the um, you attract the sharks of private equity, which is a business model oh, that only oh. starts existing and becoming profitable uh, in like pretty much the two thousands. Yeah. Um, right. Where where your business model is that you take over a company that has. Often a large amount of like sustainable assets and a large amount of staff and like a large pension fund often, and you strip all the copper wiring out of the walls, fire everybody, pay yourself a massive paycheck and bounce. Yes. Um, 
And you can get very, very rich doing this. Uh, like you, you can make a billion dollars doing this. What you also can do uh, doing this is uh, kill a bunch of newspapers that people, you know, maybe have sentimental attachments to, but more importantly, people may have, I don't know, pensions from or healthcare from uh, or jobs at, and those no longer exist because you needed to buy another yacht that you could go to Little St. James Island on. But it's okay because Mitt Romney said Black Lives Matter. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, like, uh, my, my example here I is like. That was a mind fuck. That was a mind fuck. <laughs> this opening Twitter being like, how are the fucking Democrats getting flanked by Mitt Romney? Yeah. Mitt fucking. Mitt, Mitt, throw those Molotovs, fam. I don't care, Romney. <laughs> I, I look forward to uh, Willard's uh, continued uh, radicalization. And expect him to just go, I don't know, like full like anarchist black cross. In, yeah, it's gonna be him series. and Jeb, just in a couple of hoodies. They're yeah, first over the fence at the White House. Riding a Soviet tank into Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you thought it was over at the folded gap, didn't you? <laughs> so as as you see this massive decline in revenue, just enormous, you start having to shed shed resources, right? And that's like, you know. Uh, you're printing less newspapers. I guess that reduces some of your costs, but you're also like, you, you, you're re you, your revenue is going down so quickly, you get sloppy. You know, you get rid of mm -hmm. people like willy nilly. You get rid of whole departments like local news or something like that. Um, you get rid of your office space. You sell your building. Uh, that was one of the things that happened to the Inquirer um, in the, I don't know exactly when it happened. They sold their building. Um, to I believe Bart Blatstein, the worst yes. person on earth. Um, not the worst <laughs> person on earth, uh, but really bad person. Uh, he's not quite Ori Finebush. He's at least more entertaining. Don't be um, anti-Semitic. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't criticize Ori Finebush or I'm anti-Semitic. Urban PHL said so. Can't. It's like you have so. diplomatic immunity. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my favorite thing with someone being like, you're anti Semitic, and me being like, nope, nope, he's not. I'm right here. It's because so someone burned down. Someone burned down one of uh, Ori Feinbush's condos. This was like four years ago. Gentrification now. boxes. And I, yeah. I posted. I posted in the Urban PHL Facebook group, which is like the local urbanist Facebook group. I posted a reply to the thread. Which is just a photoshopped version of, um, you know that show Win Ben Stein's Money? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I just photoshopped that into Win Ori Finebush's Money because he was offering a reward, offering a reward for information. And then, like, people dogpiled me and said I was anti Semitic for doing this. I didn't even know Ori Finebush was Jewish. Um, I also didn't know. Ben Stein was Jewish. Um, that he really did not. I was like, yeah. Yeah, Ben Stein's Jewish, and Ross was like, "Is he?" And I was like, "Yeah, but yeah, but he is." Just, I, I cannot overstate the extent to which ignorance is like a perfect defense to anti-Semitism. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, you you were doing tropes about these two guys, and you're just like, I was doing what about the what? Was, yeah. What? <laughs> Who? What? No. I, I <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, All right, look, start on page one. What's Jews? Uh, All right, I'll okay. bite. What are Jews? What, what, what are? We just don't know. <laughs> All right. So because you have so much less revenue 
to operate these newspapers. You're laying off people willy-nilly. You're laying off whole departments. You might have to focus more on national news just so people will still try to buy the newspaper, right? Because if it's exclusively local news, um, they're not going to find out 9-11 happened mm. or something, right? Yeah, um, and uh, but like also that means that your national journalists are going to be people like there's no more up and coming it's entirely like the guys who have that access and are like totally sclerotic now oh yeah i mean there's like no there's no new talent coming in um and that's oh, oh. Wow. huge barry weiss erasure <laughs> <laughs> and there's and th this problem is not just in reporting it's also in the people who like put together the print edition right um no, no one like i can't imagine right now trying to go in uh, and trying to get a job in laying out print newspapers. You're like, yeah, I'm really fucking good at Adobe InDesign. Uh, pay me $75,000 a year. Like, no, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, right. everybody's a freelancer now. Yeah. Um, and it, it sucks badly. But and it's on the plus in side, at, le at least every like major newspaper has, is still completely unwilling to cut the, like... <laughs> upper middle class to upper class welfare program that is the op-ed section uh, and so you you still get like oh we had to pay this absolute shithead there's this dumbass who comes up with the worst takes imaginable yeah we have to pay that guy like five million dollars a year all right we're um, back to Stu Bykovsky. yes <laughs> <laughs> well like it, it this is this is international like it's it's not just like oh we paid we paid tom friedman to like go to mumbai and talk to a cab driver allegedly um, it's also like in the UK, it's like uh, all of these like nice white feminists who went to all of the same universities being like writing the same five columns about how trans people are some existential threat. There's that that's that's not making anybody a lot of money, but it's got to go in every time because it's pure ideology. Yes, I used to run an op-ed section. I can tell you for a fact, it's all fiction. None of it's real. <laughs> I wrote op-eds. None of it's real. It's all fake. People say they do did things and it just didn't happen. Um, there's <laughs> so yeah. Anything you see in an op-ed page is fiction. Um, so all right. So as a result of this, like lots of newspapers like merge they or they fold entirely, especially like alternative weeklies, like free newspapers, especially. And that includes a lot of stuff that reported exclusively on local issues, right? And, you know, since news is online, a lot of, a lot of like, views, like, traffic is devoted to big newspapers that can attract a lot of people and they report mm. on most national issues, right? So Yeah, and, and those to, big papers will get bought out by, like, billionaires who can afford to have a lost leader in, like, The Times or... Uh, the Washington Post, yeah, the, say. The Jeff Bezos uh, it, Washington Post, yes. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> they can't lose enough money on that that it will make them, uh, that it will outweigh the benefits of having this soapbox. Um, and so, like, often you'll see, like, Murdoch, Murdoch had a bunch of free papers. Uh, still might do, as far as I know. Just because it, like, by that point, not because they were making so much money that they could afford to, but that, like, uh, money was fake at that point. It didn't yes. mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, uh, yeah. 
the collapse had been so total that you could just throw money into this into this pit of, of ideology and uh, and just publish whatever you wanted. Yeah, I I mean, there's it, it's it's just a completely different environment now. And mm. it's it's funny, like the 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 um like lib idea, the the dream of the printing press, uh, the Gutenberg printing press, is that like oh, just anybody can can print whatever they want, and nobody can stop them, and it's total freedom. And it turns out we did end up doing that, but just for like three guys. Yeah, um, it it turned out to not work that good. Yeah. <laughs> Works fine for them. Yeah. They, they can they can do whatever they want. So this just brings us back around to our subject. So how does this all relate to publishing this fucking headline? <laughs> God, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about it. And, yeah, in all of the confusion. Almost. And, almost. So, so uh, you're let's say you're in the Inquirer layout department, right? And the Inquirer, I believe, is still a nominally print first publication that means whatever what the headline is determined by the layout guys and that also goes up online they did try and correct this a couple times online they oh, failed sure around did. for a bit <laughs> yeah because it's gone through three headlines now um mm. I, so but if you think about it like okay who's writing this headline you got a bunch of old heads in layout department you know they've been around <laughs> for 30 years or something like that. And they're all, they're making all the decisions. They've, they haven't changed their ways in that much time, you know, cause there's no young people You're in the department. You're a fucking newsman, Don. I ever tell you otherwise, you punch me in the face. Those guys. Mm -hmm. Those is goddamn, goddamn newsman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's no young people going into the dynamic and exciting world of print layout. And it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to change a culture without new people coming in. This article's on page A12. No one gives a shit about A12. Like, the biggest shit they gave was they remembered to do the drop cap. Um, mm. Which, of course, like, that makes a difference in a paper online, though, where you can just put it on Twitter and be like, is this headline actually buildings matter too? <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I just realized this is... this. This is a one sentence paragraph. There's like one mm. there's one line underneath the drop cap. I assume oh, they course. had to like alter the size of this photo like intensely to just get one line under the drop cap. Anyway, um <laughs> so yeah, this is like it, this is a department which is neglected. It's full of old people who like hate everything. Um, you know, there's a combination of carelessness, inertia hollowed out shell of a layout department and it was probably 3 a.m. in the morning when they put this Fuck thing you. together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like whoever did this probably didn't think it was like a big deal. They were like, this is a punchy headline. This is going to be great. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, everyone's going to love us. And it turned People out, no. talk about it. And they sure did. <laughs> they sure yeah. did, yeah. The, the, the scene in the layout department after they punched that one in just... Uh, you punch me in the face. <laughs> no, this is a bad headline. This is a really bad headline, guys. Like, I, I, I it sucks. It's it sucks. Shit, it's a god awful headline. And and so all of the all of the all of the staff of the Inquirer who were black, like the next day, they did like a, a sick out. Um, the executive editor of the paper had to resign 
Um, and like, a lot of that going around, like yeah. the New York Times lost James Bennett over the Tom Cotton editorial. Uh, mm. There was another couple of resignations. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a big week for resigning and yeah. shame. Yeah, and like there, this is these are you know the pa- our paper is a national laughing stock right now because like someone published yeah. this shit, <laughs> this fucking headline. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's it's very bad on its face. I feel like it's more of a symptom of a deeper institutional rot, which is just everywhere. And oh, it yeah. just keeps getting worse. It's like rising damp in the building, you yes. know? The sick building syndrome that affects all American institutions. <laughs> <laughs> leaks? Is it leaks? Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's. I feel like this is only going to get worse. Oh um, yeah. Anecdotally, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's positive things coming, and that like at least people saw consequences for this. Uh, thank God. Um, mm. But I mean, all right. So anecdotally, my uncle works for the Roanoke Times in Roanoke, Virginia, um, which I assume all the East Coast elitists assume is like one. One shack uh, next to the railroad line. No, it's like a. It's a is nice. It's a big city. Yeah, it's like nice. There's a couple breweries. Uh, Virginia Museum of Transportation. You can go down there. Mm-hmm. You can see. We used to be able to see Six Eleven. You can't anymore um, because they've moved it to South Carolina. I think. Um, you know, you can go see some steam locomotives. Uh, Norfolk Southern just moved out, which is stupid as hell. Um, oh. But got they just shut down the engine shop too. Again, stupid as hell. That's a lot of union jobs gone. Anyway, so my uncle works for the Roanoke Times and the company that owns the Roanoke Times, uh, which is the most ethical uh, company run by the most ethical capitalist, Berkshire <laughs> Hathaway. Oh, no. um, oh, Warren Buffett. Yeah. yeah. I, I, have, I have a Warren Buffett drop from the Trash Future episode <laughs> we did about him, where he uh, is like... American magic. American magic. American oh, magic. Just an uh, elderly, uh, elderly man like saying the hot. words American magic. American magic. American magic. The funny he stuff. rules. I, when I went up to uh, do a, 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 a little thing with the, uh, the Kingston Tenants Union in Kingston, New York, um, they were going to do a showing of my uh, power planning and politics episode about gentrification. Um, and the biggest landlord in that town is uh, Warren Buffett's son, I believe. I don't know if it's his hmm. son or like how he's re- maybe his nephew or something. And he showed up <laughs> and, wa- <laughs> and watched the watched the power planning and politics episode about gentrification with all the Mao jokes. <laughs> that was funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts, baby. Yeah. All right. So anyway. So Berkshire Hathaway owns the Roanoke paper where my uncle works and he works in layout. You know, he, he goes out and he, he does the, he, he works in layout from like second ish, third ish shift. You know, sometimes he doesn't come back for a long ass time, you know, because until the paper is done is when the shift ends and their intention, as I understand it, is they're going to move the layout operations of the Roanoke Times, as well as several other local newspapers they own, to Madison, Wisconsin. 
How <laughs> fucking yes. Being, yeah, fault over being near Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah, no, no, absolutely no problems about this yeah. whatsoever. We will still get the same quality for sure. Yeah, yeah. you don't it's need a, to know how to spell any of the like street names you, or anything. Yeah, you don't know how. You don't need to know any of the local culture. You don't need to know anything. I have no, to do. Just get, give it all to Jan mm -hmm. Janssen. Mm -hmm. And that's you know that's from Warren Buffett, ethical billionaire. Um, mm. You know so. American magic. American magic. American magic. American magic. <laughs> and, you know, I guess this is where we are with journalism now. No one cares. No one gives mm -hmm. a shit about anything. There's no way to make money doing it anymore. There's no way to, like, have enough money coming in to do journalism properly. And when you do, do it right. You know, like, if you're, you're doing, like, Deadspin or something. Uh, they'll just kill you. They'll just kill oh, you. Yeah. 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 And I mean, either figuratively in court, or if you're uh, a Maltese journalist who looks too deeply into the Panama Papers, literally. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, this is the part where I get to talk about Tronk, which is my favorite part. Yes. Um, so, so Tronk is uh, was uh, part of this consolidation resulted in uh, a, a company called Tribune Publishing. And for a while, I think 2008 to maybe 2013, they rebranded all of their shit as Tronk. T-R-O-N-C, Tronk. Uh, all lowercase, I believe. Um, and this, in theory, stood for Tribune Online Content. Um, Tronk. Tronk, Tronk, yeah. And what, what Tronk did was, like, it was gonna try to, like, do the private equity model where you buy up the newsroom and like asset strip it, but instead of asset stripping it just for like a personal payday, they were going to try to like negotiate their way out of the end of print by pivoting everything to video. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so it meant that like you would collect your like uh like newsroom full of crusty goddamn newsmen, and you'd be like, yeah, you're you're a Vine guy now. Um, and this this worked exactly <laughs> as well as you could imagine. Um, it, it it's the same like basically it was like if you if you consumed media at this time between two thousand nine and twenty thirteen you were aware of this because all of a sudden everything was acting like Buzzfeed um, and like your newspaper would be like doing listicles or be doing quick hits like that. And it was just an insanely weird time. It didn't work. A lot of papers went bankrupt. Um, they were probably going to do that anyway, but I think uh, Tronk did them no favors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, just, just give me the private equity guy instead who's just going to like strip all of the copper wiring out of the walls. Like carry mm. off the the fucking the water cooler, you stick, know. Stick, tell everyone to stick yeah. to sports. Yeah, give give me that guy instead of like, uh, we're, we're gonna do um TikToks. No. Do you know how to do no. a Harlem no. Shake? No, no. Yeah. this Burn is <laughs> this is like Bazinga. Th this is like Paul McJournalism. He's been working here for sixty years. <laughs> Go make a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a pacemaker, sadly, going in the background. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Yeah. So... so yeah. 
Well, here we are. Um, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall has, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, done what it did. Um, this is all what, like what disruption is. Uh, that's that's what startups do. I mean, Uber yeah, Uber, Uber has proved that the rate of profit can fall below zero, and capitalism can just keep going. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah the 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 only the only way that you can now make media like this, uh, now make written media is um, either you are like an Instagram influencer who has like a newsletter, yeah, or you're in you are like enmeshed in the patronage web of some fucking latter day Borgia, um, or you're a tech company, and then you you like you can value yourself at like eighteen trillion dollars. I mean, you could also try putting up a paywall. Uh, and see where that gets you. That's the like last gasp at the Alamo here of, yeah. of print media is like, oh, w- what if we make the words fade out? Surely then people will pay money per month to 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 read more about how transphobia is actually good. <laughs> I have I have an Inquirer subscription. I mean, that's like you know, I, I will give it to them. I won't give it to anyone else. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But it's it's also like. And live, baby. Yeah. Well, speaking of patronage webs, um, <laughs> feel feel free to subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes. Our next episode will be on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's gonna happen. It's real. It's not a recurring joke. No. <laughs> oh god. I feel like we've ended on like a more depressing note than usual. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I, I, what I'll do is, uh, if uh, Liam, if you wanna like, if you have anything to plug, you do that now. I'll play us off with like, I have a, I have a musical drop to play us off with. Uh, yeah, real quick, I just wanted to say uh, again, thank you for giving your money to people who could use it a lot more than we do right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, please continue to do that. Like I said, uh, one of the things I'm gonna do this week is probably tally through how much has actually been donated. I just wanted to say. I'm very proud of the people who have donated. Very proud of our uh, our listeners, the problematics. And actually, I wanted to say that Roz has talked to Union Pete, and we know nothing. <laughs> I, I did. Well, yeah, because we were we were both day drunk at the same time. We decided to regroup later, which we haven't done yet. I'll I'll do that tomorrow, I guess. Well, right. No, I'm going to okay. edit the episode tomorrow. It'll be up on Wednesday, which <laughs> at some Wednesday point will be in the future. Who's listening at to some this. point in the future, we will have a shirt which you will be able to buy if capitalism has not collapsed entirely. If it has, by then, uh, we we have a shirt you that you'll be able to get for free. Maybe I'll, I'll stencil some shit on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we all like. What we need to do is we need to like liberate the Eagles T-shirt cannon. Yeah, or the Sixers. They gotta have that storage. I'll see if I'll write an email and see if I can borrow it. Yeah, and we'll we'll just do some indirect fire shit like the Iron Commander Zeitung. You'll just like <laughs> you'll buy the shirt and then we'll, you just like indirect fire. We'll just like the shirt will come through your roof. Yes. Um. We we will we will mortar. Your house with T-shirts. <laughs> we will, depending on how, depending on how far away you are. I mean, we have two bases of operations: Philadelphia and Glasgow. 
You know, we, we, yeah. we have mortars, we have howitzers, we have regular large-bore guns. Um, if need be, we will invest in intercontinental ballistic t-shirt missiles. Flying <laughs> crowbar, baby. That's right. Just tossing right, t-shirts well. out the back. Yeah. <laughs> I think that leads us to playing out uh, with, like, to try, now that we've restored some optimism, a, a musical salute to print media. Um, it was often dog shit. It's now dead. Um, kind of sad, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Bye, everybody. Lofita Zen. Yeah, it was like 50-50 on you right. doing either doing that or like uh that <laughs> that last episode of the newsroom where they did how that's how I got to Memphis. Oh fuck <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like Shannon Doe, isn't it? Yeah. Oh fuck. No, Shannon Shannon Doe is the one where like the dude just like fucking strokes out and like falls and cracks his head. Yes. And it's the funniest shit in the world because it's just like it's not played, it's played completely straight, and then he's just like Ugh. Donk. Yes. Yeah, no, rules. Oh my god. Aaron Sorkin has brain disease. Anyway. <laughs> Alright. It's the end of the podcast. We're done. It's over. Oh, I'm calling Jesus. it. Alright. Yeah, bye. Go home. Yeah, bye, bye everyone. Yeah, go, go home. It's over. Why are you still here? Go home. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yes. <laughs>